Game week, game week, game week is here. West Virginia kicks off their season this Thursday, and we could not be more excited about it. We will talk all about that on the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Wesley Shoemaker, host of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast, back today with Aaron Parker. Aaron, it is a happy, happy Monday. We are three days away from college football, three days away from the return of the backyard brawl, three days away from West Virginia kicking off their 2022 season, three days away from arguably the biggest season in Mountaineer football since that 2018 year under Will Greer and Dana Holgerson. A lot to talk about today, obviously. Talking about Neil Brown announcing the starter at quarterback for the Mountaineers and JT Daniels today. Talking a little bit about the brawl in general, um, who we think will perform the best for West Virginia Thursday night. A little bit about uniforms and kind of what this season means to Neil Brown and company. And at the end, we're going to give predictions. And then I have an interview with Pitt reporter Dalton Capola, giving you information on all things Pitt. So let's get into it right away. Aaron, how are we doing? Happy Monday. Big time. College football is back. Happy New Year. I'm excited. How excited are you? I'm pumped. Um, you know, it feels so good to, to be back. It's it's game week. Uh, felt like that day would never come. It feels like been so long since that uh that dumb guaranteed rate bowl um it feels like it's been so long since football season so i'm ready to get a new season underway yeah i think that for mountaineer fans everywhere there should be some excitement building i think this offense is going to be a lot improved from last year obviously let's just get into it right away big upgrade at quarterback it uh, became officially official today uh head coach neil brown announcing two-time transfer quarterback JT Daniels as the starter. Daniels obviously started at USC, got hurt in his first game, went to Georgia, 7-0 at Georgia as a starter, got hurt last year. Georgia wins the national championship under Stetson Bennett, and now Daniels ends up in Morgantown. To me, there was really no surprise here, I think, when you bring in a guy uh, with the caliber and with the skill set that JT has, he's going to be the starter. I think it was more of a formality for him to earn it because nothing should be guaranteed, especially in sports, especially when you're new to a group. So good on him for earning that spot. Uh, kind of my reaction to this was not surprised, just kind of surprised it took this long. I get there's that gamesmanship, but I think everyone in the pit building knew who was going to be running out there under center for the Mountaineers. So Kind of good that we now can officially set the storyline of Kadon Slovis and Graham Harrell and JT Daniels all in the same game. Should be exciting. Should be electric. Yeah, I agree. I agree with what you said. I think, you know, it's just more of a formality more than anything to, to not name JT um, the starter weeks ago. I think Neil likes his quarterbacks, Garrett Green, Nico Markiel, and Will Crowder. I think he wants them to stay within the program. I don't think he wants to see any of them leave. Um, so to go and name a starter right away, I thought maybe, I think maybe that's one of the reasons Neil did that. But, um, you know, JT is a great competitor. He's a, you know, proven good quarterback. And I like the things that, you know, the people had to say about him in the press conference today. You know, Neil mentioned that he's not rattled easily. Um, that's good to hear considering, you know, W's quarterback play has been a little shaky over the last three or four years. Well, since Will Greer graduated. Um, but other people had good things to say too. Graham Harrell said, um, JT's got a stoic kind of intellectual personality. You know, that's good to hear. And Bryce Ward Wheaton really came in and complimented him and, you know, said it was the most catchable deep ball he's ever seen. So, you know, that, that gives me some excitement. And I think the receivers are going to feed off of that. Yeah. I, I, I uh, just looking at his stats from last year, obviously, Daniels was 7-0 as a starter, as mentioned. 722 yards, seven touchdowns, 68 of 94 passing. And, I think one thing that stood out to me, which I hadn't really thought of until I heard it today, was Daniels' practice against a Georgia defense that has been one of the, the best defenses in the country the past few years. So that can, can't can do anything but help JT. I think this, as we kind of talk about Pitt real quick, Pitt's defensive line is legit. Like, they probably have a top five defensive line in the country. They're going to get after you. They're going to cause chaos. They're going to 
try and make things and make life as uncomfortable as possible for Daniels and company. I think that's where the battle will be won or lost for West Virginia. If if you're going to win this game, I think that defensive line, offensive line showdown is going to be big. Obviously West Virginia, the communication should not be a problem returning all, all starters from last year, returning guys that like a Zach Frazier, like a Wyatt Milam who are really talented. Um, It's just a matter of getting it done when it, when the lights are brightest. So I think, as for JT handling that pressure, he can kind of move outside the pocket a little bit. He knows when he's got to throw it away. And I think that clock will be ticking that kind of, you got to get the ball out of your hands clock. And it's good. It's going to be fun to see that battle up front. Yes. Pitt's going to win a couple of times, but hopefully uh, Frazier and company up front and Daniels uh, calling plays from behind him should, should be a good matchup to watch. Yeah, it should be. And on paper, it's very exciting. Obviously, Pitt's, you know, very experienced on the defensive line. Um, you know, I, I think Jordan Leslie, uh, the defensive coordinator of WVU, came in and said, you know, they try to make you one-dimensional. Um, they try to take away that run game right away um, and make you, you know, beat them with your deep ball, your consistent passing. Obviously, WVU hasn't had that over the last couple of years, but you got a new play caller and Graham Harrell. you got JT Daniels. Um, but I'm a little concerned about, about the run game. You know, I'm not – overly concerned about the offensive line because um, they're very experienced with, with WVU's group, Zach Frazier, you know, Doug Nestor, Wyatt Milam in the second year, all these guys are very talented, former four stars, former, you know, um, good high school football players, high school wrestlers, you know, they've been there, done that. Um, but I do think they'll lose some battles and I'm kind of worried about the run game um, with Luddy Brown gone now. So um, there's not going to be a ton of holes and I'm just, I'm wondering if Tony Mathis, Justin Johnson, Jalen Anderson, and those guys um, can hit those few holes that they get. Yeah, let's kind of talk about that running back room. Something that kind of caught my eye today, West Virginia released their depth chart for week one. Neil said last week they're going to go in a, a trio of running backs with Tony Mathis, Justin Johnson, and C.J. Donaldson. You look at this depth chart, C.J. Donaldson's name was not listed. Neil was asked about that, and he said – He's going to play this year. He's going to be a difference maker. But from the looks of things, it looks like behind the scenes something happened where Donaldson will not be playing week one. Obviously, that could just be some kind of smoke. But to me, the looks of it is Donaldson will not be playing or suiting up week one. Um, the significance of that, I think, is unknown. Donaldson's kind of a big guy, went from tight end to running back, more of a bruiser. And when you're going against the D-line like Pitt, I think that's important, especially when you get down into the red zone, get down inside the 10, and you need one of those guys that can get you three yards, or it's third down and two, need you guys a guy that can get you those yards. He's a bruiser that can run through those guys, not saying Tony Mathers or Justin Johnson can't, but the body type of C.J. Donaldson just fits that mold more. And so him not being on that depth chart is a little concerning for me. Another thing kind of talking, saying on the offense, uh, Michael Laughlin, tight end, should be good to go. Uh, Coach Brown said, looks like him and Colorado State transfer Brian Palende, Palende, they will both be playing. And I think there will be a third tight end, Neil said, he, but they are not listed on the depth chart. As for up front on the offensive line, seven guys will be good to go. Uh, the only question mark as far as starting is Brandon Yates or Jaquay Hubbard at right tackle. Other than that, things are pretty solid up front. You got Y Milan left tackle, James Committer left guard, Zach Frazier center, Doug Nestor right guard. Pretty much the same from last year. And then kind of looking at the rest of your offense, the, this receiver group I think is highly underrated. Bryce Ford Wheaton, really good. Then you got Caden Prather, who's young but talented. Sam James, a veteran who's been there, done that. Then you got a guy like Reese Smith who can kind of do the little things right, catch those slants for five, eight yards here and there, big on third down, kind of have those reliable receivers. Like if you want to give an NFL comp to him, probably like a Julian Edelman, someone who isn't going to beat you over the top but is kind of reliable underneath. So I think this receiver group can be surprising, and especially against a Pitt secondary, which isn't the most talented, and out of their whole defense, probably the most inexperienced um, and the biggest question mark for them, I would say that this receiver group has the chance to make some plays Thursday night. I agree with that. And, you know, I, I do think they're an underrated part of this Mountaineer team. You know, people aren't really talking about them. Um, they haven't made a ton of noise. But, you know, I really like Bryce Ford Wheaton as a leader. Um, you know, people forget Sam James has been here since the Will Greer and Gary Jennings um, and David Sills days. 
He's a leader as well. I really like the talent of Kane Prather, and I think Reese Smith is going to have a bigger year, like you said. Um, you know, he's 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 durable and he's um you know he's reliable on the the third down slants. Um, I don't think he got the ball enough last year. Um, you know, that's kind of my opinion. Uh, I think you bring up a good point about C.J. Johnson. I mean, they've been talking so much about him, um, but yeah, he's not on that depth chart. But um, part of me thinks that you know he might get a carrier too. I you know it's it's speculation, but. Just because he's on that depth chart, I mean, I, I know Neil today said, um, as far as red shirts go, he said um, there's a couple freshmen alignment that you know they're going to red shirt. But outside of that, they're going to give everybody the opportunity. They don't have any plans to red shirt anybody right now outside of what freshman O line and D linemen. So um, I think if if his efforts are needed, I think he'll get a carrier too because they've been talking a lot about him. Um, he's big, he's powerful, and he's got some speed. Um, but also Jalen Anderson is left off that list too. Um, but I've heard good things about him too. So like, you know, if, if their efforts are needed, I wouldn't count them out. I just don't know where they draw the line of who's traveling, who's not, who's going to then make a, make an impact because in a game like this, every possession matters, every kind of play matters. And so Neil's not going to run out a guy that he doesn't fully trust. And if there's stuff going on behind the scenes, behind closed doors that we just don't know about, um, that could impact how much trust they have in a guy neil's not going to go out there and with people he doesn't trust and i think he's proven that he's told us that and i expect that to kind of be the case kind of just talking about positions in, in total if you guys want numbers breakdowns wide receiver um they said they're going to go with about five to six guys three running backs that are going to play obviously as we just said there could be a question mark around that though three tight ends as we talked about up front uh, on the D defensive line, Neil said they expect to play eight to ten guys. Linebackers, they'll play four. Spear, they got two. And then three or four corners and three or four safeties. One thing I did find out that was kind of a general theme from this team is that they're going to play a lot of bodies. Obviously, uh, first game, conditioning probably isn't fully where it's going to be. It's going to be warmer than, say, if you're playing in October. won't be as warm as it was, say, today, where it was almost reached 90 degrees here in Morgantown. But it's going to be it's going to be warm. It's going to be a warm evening. And it it like playing 70 plays can wear on guys, especially on defense, especially when you haven't played a football game in nine months. So expect a lot of bodies to be played. Expect guys to be going in and out a lot. Yeah, agreed with that. And you know, I you know, you would hope the conditions aren't aren't bad as far as heat. You know, it's ninety degrees here today in Morgantown, so um, you hope it's not too hot. Um, and obviously, it's not AstroTurf on that 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 stadium at whatever you want to call it now, Acrisure Stadium. Um, so hopefully, it doesn't get up to be like a hundred degrees on the field. So um, hopefully, they can just go out and play their game and not worry about any of the the other things like that. But yeah, um, like you said, we'll be interested to see. Um, you know who dresses and, and who kind of has to stay back out of that group but like you know Neil Neil wants to give everybody a chance but you know I want to see how how far that that can extend to yeah for me the biggest the biggest things are where do you kind of place your importance like for example let's say it's West Virginia scores late in the first half with four five minutes to go and your defense has built, been on the field for a good amount in the first half, are you going to play every number one for the last four minutes of that first half? Or are you going to try and rotate in guys when, say, you can get a stop and go into the halftime with some serious momentum? Like, those kind of game management situations with his roster, I just don't know what is going to happen. And I think it's more of a feel in game with his players, kind of seeing how they feel more than anything that he can predict. And so that'll be kind of something to keep track of, though, and keep watch of is – who's in, who's out, who's in for a lot of plays and who's not. Because if it's a close game down to the down the wire, which I think we both fully expect it to be, you've got to you've got to be able to have your best guys in if you're going to want a chance to beat a top 20 team in the country and I just hope they have that ability to be in the game late. Absolutely and you know, these little um you know, strategical things we're talking about, you know, rotating guys in and out and you know, not exactly saving them, but, you know, waiting for the right moments, stuff that we really, you and me can't really figure out what the right decision is. But like, you know, this is Neil's fourth year and, you know, these little strategic things right here, he's got to get them right. Um, this is a team where there's a little uh, room for error. Obviously we saw the Mountaineers go into Maryland last year to start the season and they lost. 
Um, they're probably for more reasons than just strategy, maybe just bad quarterback play um, and getting burnt on defense every time. But this is a good pit team. You know, they're ranked nationally and, you know, they're a very good team. So there's little room for, for coaching air in this game. That's my opinion. I think, though, one thing that will help Neil is that he's no longer going to be calling plays. He talked about that today, how Graham Harrell is going to be calling all offensive plays. That's a switch, obviously, with Neil kind of co-calling plays last year with former offensive coordinator Jared Parker. And I think that is going to help him manage the game more as a head coach. He said he's going to be a resource for Coach Harrell, but not going to be the one that's going to be making final decisions. He's going to let his guy that he brought in kind of do his job. And I think that's going to help him from a game strategy standpoint of he's going to be able to see everything, think more about everything because he's not going to have to stay in on every single play, play to play basis. And as long as, as far as time management, roster management in a, in a drive to drive short term scenario goes, I think that will really help. I think so too. Um, Obviously some of the, you know, some people have, raise questions on, on Neil's play calling, but like, you know, I'm not, not getting on to him or anything, but like, I just, I just thought he needed an offensive coordinator. Um, and that was before coach Harrell was, was brought in here to WVU. Um, and when I found out coach Harrell was coming here, you know, I thought that was a big get, you know, he's, he's, he's got the resume as a player, you know, he was under coach Leach there at, at Texas tech. He won a lot of ball games and his track record, it, it proves himself to be a good coach. I mean, he was, Mason Fines coach at North Texas. He put up a lot of numbers. He was successful at USC, um, you know, and I think he's a good coach. And I think he's also mentioned that, you know, he's more of a quote-unquote air raid guy. Um, but, but the numbers prove that when he's at um, a university, their running game isn't bad either. Um, so him calling plays up in the booth um, and seeing it from from that high level, I think that's going to be good for the Mountaineers this year. That would be a, a good change of pace as opposed to, you know, um, Neil and Jared Parker complex. Yeah, kind of bouncing off your point there and about running the ball and having that as your identity. That's what Pitt's going to want to do. Pitt has new offensive coordinator, Coach Signetti, and he's kind of more of a bruiser. Let's slow the game down, run the ball. And I think that's a, that's a problem for if you're West Virginia. And if you're looking at last year, Look how West Virginia lost a lot of their games. Oklahoma State, what did they do? They kind of grinded it out and wore you down. Minnesota in the bowl game did the exact same thing. So you're going to have to stop the run if you want to win this game. And Dante Stills, he talked about that today, how he can't wait to get out there and try and prove prove that their defense is better than last year. He said that last year they knew he'd like – if they stop the run, they win more games. And he knows that. They know that. This team knows that. So I think that's a kind of a big thing going into this week. Uh, kind of talking a little bit more about Pitt. Um, obviously, we talked about their offense with Slovis, their defensive line. But their offensive line is also really good, too. They're very experienced, very old in a sense, not even just by age, just by, like, experience and college football starting experience. So that's something that could help the Panthers. Uh, West Virginia – we don't really know what the loss of Akeem Mesador is going to be like yet. I think they think they have enough to fill in. And I think if you're West Virginia, you obviously hope that. But we really don't know how much that loss is going to affect the guys like Dante, like Taj Austin up front until we kind of get into game action against a good offensive line. So those are two big battles for me, uh, offensive versus defensive line, both um, for both teams, when West Virginia's on offense and when Pitt's on offense. I think you're right. Um, you know, we kind of, I've kind of tried to move on from the whole Akeem Messador thing, but it, you bring up a good point bringing him back up because, you know, um, I think Todd Austin and Dante and those guys really like playing with him last year and the year before. He proved in his two years that he's a good player. So now that he's gone, um, I, you know, I still kind of, I still trust the defensive line. I think they're, they're old in a sense with, um, you know, Todd Austin's been in school for five or six years. Dante's been here for a while now, four years plus. Jordan Jefferson's in his, what, third year here. They're good. They're big. Um, I think they're fast enough. Well, I think we'll have to see that. Um, their speed against the offensive line, offensive guards and tackles. Um, but, yeah, I think I think the battle is going to be won up front. I mean, you hear that all the time, that the game's won at the line of scrimmage. And you make a good point about Pitt's offensive line. They were a good team last year, a good offense, good running offense. Um, and a lot of those guys are returning. So, 
to see them go up against um, WVU's line and WVU's kind of um, rushers, bandit positions like Wendell Carr and um, uh, Jared Bartlett, you know, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, WVU's got to win those battles. Yeah, pivoting now kind of to the game as a whole, Neil Brown was on a Sports Center, ESPN, one of ESPN shows on Saturday, and he kind of talked about this game and what it means to the people of the state of West Virginia, uh, people of Western Pennsylvania, and this game is exactly what he said. It's it's kind of your coal miners for steel mill workers. It's your it's it's for the people of West Virginia. It's for the people of Western Pennsylvania, and this game is a game that should be played every year. Obviously, West Virginia is in the Big 12, and you don't get that that regional rivalry. I think that you can have rivalries with teams that are in Texas, but it it's not the same as driving an hour and 20 minutes up the road and you're there playing an away game and your fan base is going to travel and there's a 68,000-person stadium and your fans could easily take up 25,000, 30,000 of those seats. So for me, kind of this rivalry has so much history, so much, just so much, there's so much to it. And I think it's so good for the game that it's being played. It's even better for the game of football that it's be play, being played on a standalone Thursday night. And I don't know about you, Aaron, but there's a lot that you can find from this history. There's been obviously no real recency with this. Obviously, I think you and I were nine ten years old the last time this game was played but there you still hear the stories you still obviously if you're Pitt, you have that one game that no one up here speaks of if you're west virginia you've won a lot of games recently you kind of own the series recently so there's there's give and take for both teams certainly yeah and i think you bring up a good point where with all the stories i mean in the press conference today multiple guys were talking about stories i mean bryce ford wheaton is a third generation you know mountaineer player to play against Pitt. Um, they were talking about his grandfather tearing up Pitt, getting 300 all-purpose yards, um, and how he, he dug up those archives. And Dante Stills, his dad, Gary, um, on those you know, strong 90s WVU defensive teams. Um, you know, Gary still talks about um, playing Pitt to Dante and, and how big of a game it is. So, you know, it's a big game. Um, there's a lot of hatred, you know, a lot of uh, highs and lows for both teams, upsets and, you know, bitter defeats. You know, but I think you're right. I mean, WVU seven and three in the last 10 I mean they've kind of put a not a stranglehold on the series but you know in the last couple of days um of the Big East Conference I think they um um you know took the momentum into the series before it kind of dropped off for a while obviously Pitt's got the, the all-time record but you know the last meeting was a big one I mean I was 10 years old and I was at that game to this day that was the best WVU game I've ever been to Mountaineers one by one point down 14 nothing came back Stedman Bailey Big 65-yard touchdown, stiff-armed a guy in the face. If they don't win that game, they don't go to the Orange Bowl. So, you know, th this game always has big implications, as you know. Yeah, let's set the stage a little bit here, just kind of talking about Thursday. you got a Pitt team that's coming off an ACC championship. You've got a West Virginia team that's desperate to prove those these last three years aren't who they are going forward. You've got a Pitt team that's got a quarterback that played – under your offensive coordinator, if you're West Virginia, and was teammates with your current quarterback. You've got a game that's going to be on national television with college game day there. The whole eyes are going to be on this game. The only other game of the night that's a power five game is Penn State-Purdue. But even then, you're going to be on national television in prime time. And it's a rivalry that you got two schools that hate each other. You've got two schools that don't want anything to do with each other. You've got two schools that all they want to do is beat each other. You've got Pitt team, which many believe in their program, that their ceiling is the college football playoff. And you've got a West Virginia team that believes with the new quarterback, with the returning defense, and with pieces on the offensive side that are weapons, they could possibly reach a Big 12 championship game. So the drama's there, the setting's there, and I think both teams are excited to get this thing going. Yeah, you set the stage real well there, you know, um, you know, bringing up the the Power Five games, Penn State-Purdue. I mean, Purdue's terrible. Uh, I think WVU-Pitt is, is the marquee matchup. Um, it kind of just takes me back to, obviously, we were really young, but, like, in the Rich Rodriguez days, 
they would get a lot of Thursday night games that, but back then it was kind of like, that was the one game. It wasn't, you know, a handful of Thursday night games. That was the one marquee game on ESPN. Um, kind of takes me back to like researching the 2006 game um, at Heinz Field. Pitt brought, I think they sold out the stadium. Pat White, Steve Slayton ran all over them. You know, Pat White accounted for like four touchdowns. Steve Slayton accounted for four touchdowns. There's a lot of history in this game. And, you know, to play it on a Thursday night kind of just brings me back to those old Big East days. I know it's different now, but, you know, the set, the, the stage is set. Um, and I think the eyes upon are the eyes of the nation are kind of upon them, especially with college game day in town. Yeah, and another thing to kind of that I think adds to this and adds to how special this game is, is you just look at what West Virginia is playing for. You can just look at what they're wearing. Um, new uniforms, the Country Roads uniforms, they were released on the state of West Virginia's birthday uh, this summer. And it kind of, it's it's what West Virginia is. It kind of represents that Country Roads Take Me Home vibe of, you've got the state map all over the place. You've kind of got the traditional state logo. And I think that's a really clean look. I think one thing that they've kind of gone away with is that state logo. And they're, I think slowly starting to bring it back a little bit. I love the state outline with the WV in the middle. I think that's such a clean look on the helmets. Um, there's just so much to like about this uniform. And I think that kind of, in a sense, adds to the drama of you've got these uniforms that represent your state as you're going to go play your biggest rival and it's it's cool to see that they're doing more for these types of games yeah i'm a big uniform guy so i might nerd out a little bit here but i completely agree with you i mean the the country roads uniforms are really nice i agree with what you said on on the the state of west virginia outline um i remember when the mountaineers brought that out as a throwback helmet like in 2013 um and they've used it just very uh, sporadically ever since i think i think they need to use a lot more um, I think they need to make a full out throwback uniform with it, but you know, that's besides the point. Um, I think that the designers did a really good job with you know, putting the I-79 and all the country roads within the numbers. I thought that was very interesting. Um, you can only assume Pitt is going to wear their kind of like what, what you call it, city jerseys. They have those gray steel uniforms that represent their um, city and their, you know, their. Have they, um, have they announced what they're wearing yet? I'm not uh, sure. To my knowledge, they have not announced that, but I would put five dollars on the fact that they wear those steel gray uniforms, especially because that would, um, you know, go against the white uniforms of WVU. But, um, I think WVU's uniforms are very nice. Not, in my opinion, they're just a step below the the uh, the Cole uniforms, the pro combat uniforms of the 2010 Pitt WVU game. Um, I thought that one really embodied the you know the blue collar, the the coal mine um, aspect of West Virginia. But these are a close second, and I think they're going to look really good on field. Yeah, I just think I, – I think that that helmet with the state outline and the flying W, it's such a clean look. I think um, it kind of – it kind of – like when these games mean more, you do more for them. And I think that's another reason why you're not breaking these uniforms out to go travel to Austin, Texas and play in a – like you're not doing that. You're doing this because it's a regional rivalry, because it's a big game. And I think that's one of those things – this is why you play the rivalry. You play the rivalry because cool things come with it, one of those cool things – is a uniform moving forward uh let's talk big picture we've kind of floated it and touched on this topic the past month past two months oh, throughout the summer it's now go time for neil brown i wouldn't say his seat is hot i would say the oven is being turned on and it can heat up or it can be turned off i would say that Within the first month, by October 2nd, we're going to have a really good idea of the future of this program, and we're going to have a really good idea of Neil Brown's future with West Virginia. I don't think, unless he unless this team completely falls out and they get win three games this year, that Neil Brown's job is in jeopardy, just because it is hard to build, and he has gone through a pandemic. This He just had his first recruiting class. The 2023 recruiting class is highly ranked. So I don't think that he's in trouble losing his job, but I will say that if he cannot perform and if he cannot split these rivalry games in this month, if he cannot probably go to the month of October in that Texas game, if he, if he has more than one loss heading into that Texas game on October 1st, he's this, this team's in trouble. So I think that this season is huge for him. This season's huge for the trajectory of this program. And 
the pressure is on. The pressure is on. I don't think it's all the way turned up, but if you want to talk about a, I'm turning on the stove and it's on low, but I can turn it up if I need to get cooking, then I will. But I'd say for right now, the stove is on low. Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it pretty simply. In my opinion, um, I think he would be on the hot seat if it weren't for the fact that the buyout is so much money. It's it's a ton of money. Um, and it was, it was even more last year, but you're right. I mean, he, he went through a pandemic season when he came in in 2019, man, Dana Holgerson kind of cleared the place out. There was nothing left. That 2019 was really bad. I mean, there was not a ton of talent on that team. Um, so this is his, this is his, you know, first real recruiting class, but, um, you know, it's, it's go time. Like you said, it's 2022. It's his fourth year. Um, you know, he stuck with Davey for two straight years. You know, he didn't win the, the job at Western Kentucky. And, you know, you know, questions have been raised. And so, like, now he's got Graham Harrell. Now he's got JT Daniels. He's got a proven offensive line, defensive line, receiving core. This is the year you got to do it. And like you said, I mean, if he's not splitting those rivalry games, if he's heading to Austin with two or three losses, it, yeah, it's time to turn it up. But, um, you know, I think he's made a lot of moves in the last offseason or two um, to kind of put himself in a better position for this year. Um, so I have faith in him, but you know, that's just my opinion. I think that also this, this whole saga of we're entering year four of the trust the climb era of the Neil Brown era at West Virginia kind of just even builds more into this game. You've got, you've like, if they win this game, if they go on the road, beat a top 20 team in his biggest game yet as the head coach of the Mountaineers on the road, like if he does that Thursday night, we come on this podcast Friday and we say, Dang, Neil Brown is the guy going forward. If they go out to pit Thursday night at Acrisure Stadium and they lose by two scores, three scores, question marks start getting raised of, oh, maybe JT's not the guy. Or, oh, dang, Neil, you lost a lot of talent in the transfer portal. Maybe that's a – like, then the question marks start popping up and you start overthinking and you're critically thinking everything. But if he goes out and this team wins – on Thursday night, I think all the question marks go away. And as crazy as it sounds that this game is like kind of like he could save his job, even though his job, in my opinion, isn't that much in jeopardy. But like, I think you kind of buy yourself more time if you win a game like this. Like, let's look at Nebraska, for example. Nebraska just went to Ireland against Northwestern. They lost a game because they decided to onside kick a ball. Their receivers, like, they just Up made, 11 points. Yeah, they, they just didn't make smart decisions to win the game. And if you're Neil Brown, you can't let that happen. Um, I think it, it was a funny line he kind of said when he was talking about how he's going to start being more of a game manager, doesn't have to call plays. I would assume he was watching that Nebraska-Northwestern game, and that's the game he mentioned when he said, yeah, oh, yeah. I was watching the game uh, this weekend. Won't name the name of the game, but I'll say that it was kind of a questionable things that decision making that I was like, oh, I wouldn't have done that here. So hopefully that type of thing does not happen Thursday night. But you can kind of, in my opinion, make the future of Neil Brown at West Virginia if he wins this game. If he loses this game, it's not the end of the world, obviously. But like, you've got to win these openers. Like if if we think back to the opener where West Virginia has played a big time opponent, Virginia Tech in seventeen, they lose at FedEx. Uh, Maryland last year, they lost. I mean, NC State in 2019, and I think that's what they opened Neil Brown with at home at uh, in 2019. Like, they won that game, but that's NC State. It's not the NC State of this year, which is a top 10, top 15 team. It was the NC State of three years ago who really wasn't that good. So you're looking for a marquee win. You're looking for that win to start your year. You're kind of looking to jumpstart your program, and there's no better way to do that than Pitt this Thursday. Yeah, you know, I think you're you're completely right there. And, you know, Pitt's a good team. So I kind of agree with you in the fact that if WV loses, it's not, you know, immediately, you know, fire Neil or whatever, but Pitt's a good team. And if you go out there and you play your best game, your best game for week one, we'll just say, you know, they're, they're saying you got to iron out, of course. Um, Say you go there and you lose by three or six or seven, you know, I think, and maybe Pitt's just a more talented team or just a better team that day. I think you can kind of shake your head and be like, okay, but if you go out there and lose by, by, 17 or 20 or something like that um you know that's not a good look and you know I think we're entering entering a year where you know Neil Brown you know I said it earlier he's got to um clean up some of the you know just the the kind of coaching errors 
Um, I think he'll do that, <laughs> you know. Um, I think it's good that he was, like, watching some of the other games and, you know, maybe he can learn from Scott Frost of what not to do in, you know, late-game scenarios or mid-game scenarios. But um, over the past couple of years, in my opinion, I think WVU's had too many procedure penalties, too many undisciplined penalties. And, um, you know, if you're going to pit and losing a close game by three or six and you have a bunch of penalties, procedure penalties, that's not a good look. One more thing not saying I disagree with you. It's kind of just a different topic, but within this umbrella of what we're talking about of winning these types of games. And that's going back to the quarterback position of JT Daniels. And I want to talk about what Graham Harrell said today. He was asked about does winning matter as a quarterback? And there's two sides to this coin. And I think these two sides are very distinct in that one side is your quarterback can only do so much. Like if you want to look at that Nebraska game, right? Nebraska, they for their final drive, they have the ball. Their quarterback puts the ball in the receiver's hands. He drops it. It turns into an interception. There's nothing the quarterback could have done there. But then again, like that's the quarterback's responsibility at the end of the day is for his receivers to catch. Like, so there's two sides of that coin. I hate the argument that everything's the quarterback's fault because it's not because the quarterback can make a good throw or receiver can drop the ball quarterback can make a good throw or receiver can slip quarterback can make a good throw and something crazy happens or the receiver fumble. like there's so many things that can happen after the quarterback does what they're supposed to do the other side of that is the quarterback's your leader the quarterback's your alpha the quarterback's the guy that's supposed to be that dude and until we have like we haven't seen a guy be that dude you could even argue if you really want to do it. You could argue Will Greer was not that dude. He did not win the big games when he had to. He didn't beat Oklahoma State on the road down the stretch. He didn't beat Oklahoma at home. Obviously, you can say different things led to both those losses, but Will Greer didn't win the games he had to win as the Mountaineers quarterback. You haven't really seen a guy win those games probably since Geno Smith. So this whole argument of having to be a winner, I think that JT Daniels, has to go out there and win. You have to win these close games. JT Daniels is too talented, too experienced not to be able to win these games. And if you're West Virginia, you're waiting on that win. You're waiting to be able to beat a team by three points. You're you're waiting to do what every other team has done to you for the past decade. And now's your opportunity. Now you've got that quote-unquote winner in a sense in JT Daniels. And I'm just waiting to see if he can actually do that and win the big games for West Virginia. Yeah, um, it's going to be a big point right there. And, you know, there's obviously two sides to that coin. Um, and, you know, going back and looking at Will Greer, you know, sometimes watching those games, I was like, you know, Will Greer is that dude. Um, but you're right. The big games down the stretch at Oklahoma State up 17 and a half, you know, had the lead multiple times at home against Oklahoma. Couldn't get those wins. But, you know, there's always two sides to the coin. You know, the defense that year couldn't stop a parked car. Um, you know, I think that the play calling by Spavadol was bad in that Oklahoma State game. But still, if you're the quarterback, if you're that talented, like a Will Greer, like a JT Daniels, get on whoever, somebody like that, you got you got to step up and win games. And I think that's going to be a big point for for JT Daniels this year. And here's what I think: like I don't, I don't think the expectation is to go like make the playoffs for WVU. You know, no matter how you know good we might think this team is, I don't think that's the expectation. Well, for but, sure, that's, I don't think the talent's there to even no. do it. I think the ceiling for this team is third place in the Big Twelve maybe second place and you sneak into the Big 12 title game. Yeah, you know, I'm not saying that that their expectations are that high, but, you know, the six-win seasons have to stop. And when you got a guy like JT Daniels who's a proven winner, a proven accurate passer, a, a proven, you know, good at throwing the deep ball, and you got Graham Harrell calling plays, I think this team has to be different than the last two two teams. Um, the last three teams. And, you know, you gotta give me, you gotta give me eight wins or something like that. Um, because going six and six and went and losing games, you should have, you know, you should have beat Texas Tech on the road in 20, but nobody made a play. You should have beat um, so and so last year, but nobody stepped up and made a play. Last that, year, you can go down the line. You got Texas Tech. Oh, you yeah. got, like you can just go down the line of games where you do one or two things right, or you have a winner at quarterback who steps up and makes that play. You Texas win the game. Tech. Texas Tech, Oklahoma on the road. There's so many games over the last two, three years where it's like if somebody just stepped up and made a big-time play, maybe the Mountaineers win that. And you got JT Daniels this year, and I'm not saying everything's on him, um, but there's got to be a game, two, maybe three games that 
if it comes down to the wire, he's got to be the guy that steps up and makes a play because it's not Jared Daigie anymore. It's not Jack Allison. It's not Austin Kendall anymore. It's a former five-star. The talent level at quarterback, I think West Virginia fans are still underestimating. I think going from a guy like Jared Daigie, and I wish Daigie the best, and I all due respect to him. He worked his tail off. He never complained, and he got a lot of crap from a lot of people on the outside. Um, But when you just – like just talent level, like the step up from – Daigie to Daniels, it it should be night and day. And I just think that is so much more important than what you think and hearing how smart, how calm JT is. And when you go into an atmosphere like this, I just think that's so old. Like, it's just so important for the Mountaineers, and I'm interested to see how it turns out. Absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that's got a track record of winning. You know, he um, he won at a huge uh, high school at Major D., um, he was all over Sports Illustrated, ESPN, um, five-star, went to USC, succeeded before the injury, never lost a game at Georgia. I mean, and like you said, he was going up against the ones and twos of Georgia's defense every day in practice. Um, he put up good numbers there before kind of getting, you know, beat out or whatever you want to call it. Um, and he's a, a very good quarterback that, you know, like you said, the talent level, it shouldn't just be, you know, maybe a couple plays here or there. You're like, oh, you know, I think, that ball was better than what we had last year. Now, like, it's got to be night and day difference. Um, and with an experienced offensive line and, you know, receiving core, you know, I think he's 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 got limited excuses. Um, so he's just got to stay healthy. And I, I trust that there's not going to be excuses there and he's going to make the throws necessary to, to win ballgames. Let's, let's pick a winner then. Um, let's go through first. We're going to go through three games outside of this West Virginia – pit game uh this weekend kind of we'll do this every week and kind of keep track a little fun game Aaron and I will play to see who's the better picker a la college game day style um Notre Dame Ohio State in the horseshoe at night Marcus Freeman new coach for Notre Dame I'm gonna pick the Buckeyes though I just think CJ Stroud he's gonna be a I think he wins the Heisman this year. I really do. I I think Will Anderson's got a shot from Alabama, but I just think C.J. Stroud's so good. Ohio State, that place is going to be electric. Um, I'm going to take the Buckeyes there. Yeah, me you know, me too on that. You know, I can't stand Notre Dame. And, you know, I watched a good bit of C.J. Stroud last year. He's a great passer. He's a great quarterback. I think he'll have a future in the NFL. Kind of had that one little and game against Michigan. But, you know, that game, you know, I think all the Ohio State core had – had the flu up up until that game. It was snowing. So, you know, I think that was an off game. I think he's going to go off against Notre Dame. Georgia, Oregon. Um, Georgia coming off national championship. Oregon took takes Georgia's defensive coordinator, something over my words here, as their new head coach. I think this game means a lot to Oregon. Um, obviously, uh, rest in peace, Spencer Webb. Uh, Oregon Duck, who passed away uh, recently. I think they're going to be playing for him. I think they're going to be playing for their head coach. This game is in Atlanta. A lot of pressure on the dogs. Kind of don't want to get down. Um, And everything tells me to pick Georgia, but I think, I I don't know. I just got a feeling. Oregon went into the horseshoe last year and won a game against Ohio State, and I'm going to say they do it this year in week one against Georgia. They're going to beat – Georgia, I'm taking the Ducks. Um, I'm going to go Georgia. Yeah. Um, not a whole lot of strategy here. They're the defending champs for a reason. I really, I really like um, the play calling of Kirby Smart. You know, he showed me a lot over these last couple of years, you know, beating Saban every now and then and, you know, finally getting over that hump and winning a championship. And, you know, I think, I think Stetson Bennett will be, I think he'll have a fair game. I don't think he'll go out there and tear up the Ducks, but, you know, I think it'll be a close one. I think the Oregon might have, have a lead or two in the first half, but I'll go Georgia. Last one before we pick our game of Thursday night, Cincinnati, Arkansas in Fayetteville. Um, Cincinnati college football playoff last year. Arkansas had a pretty good year too, but I'm going to take the Razorbacks at home. Cincinnati, too much transition on the road against an SEC school. I just don't think they get it done. I'm going to take Arkansas. 
Mm. So my pick was going to be Cincinnati because I like Luke Fickle, but, um, you know, it's in Fayetteville, SEC atmosphere. Arkansas has come off a good season. You know, they haven't been good in a while. And they have some somewhat high expectations, I think, in that yeah. SEC. Yeah, I mean, they had a good season last year. They won eight or nine ball games last year with a tough schedule. Um, no Desmond Ritter anymore for Cincinnati. I'm not sure who their quarterback is. I'm not a Bearcat insider, but I know he has moved on to, what, the Falcons now. Yeah. So I'm going to go Arkansas um, against a young quarterback for Cincinnati. Now the pick you have all been waiting for, backyard brawl prediction. Aaron, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Sure, I'll go first. All so right. in our season preview, I picked I picked Virginia Tech to beat the Mountaineers and I picked WVU to go to Pittsburgh and win and split the rivalry 1-1. Um, maybe not in the way that most Mountaineer fans would predict it. I'm going to go WVU 24-21. I think Casey Legg makes one kick. I'm not going to say how long it is, but – um, I think I think WVU is going to get really strong play from JT Daniels. I think it's going to be a lot like that Virginia Tech game in 2017, where you get a new transfer, you know, former five-star quarterback, kind of like Will Greer, and you kind of have to learn some things. But instead of um, you know learning things, and you know, I think there's a lot of missed opportunities in that Virginia Tech game. I think JT Daniels is going to step up and you know and hit on some of those plays. Um, I think the Mountaineers are going to get a big pick. I think I'm going to go. Um, Rashad Ajayi, the Colorado State transfer. I'm going to give him a pick, and I'm going to say WVU wins. I'll go to players of the game that I think are going to make a big impact for the Mountaineers first. I think you look at a guy – I think I think Bryce Ford is going to have a big day. I mm-hmm. just think him and JT Daniels, like, I just think there's a connection there, and I think that's going to work. But in the end, I think this – Pitt defensive line, they're going to get after the Mountaineers. And I think that Pitt's uh, offensive line is going to be able to stop the Mountaineer pass rush and kind of help Pitt attack a weaker Mountaineer secondary, a secondary that's still kind of meshing, still kind of gelling. Could I see the Mountaineers winning this game? Yeah. But I think Pitt, at the end of the day, is going to come out with the victory. I've also picked this for a couple other places, and i got to stay consistent uh, stay true to my pick. I'm going to pick, pick the Panthers winning 27-20. I think it'll be a really fun game, and I just think um, Panthers get it done late. Yeah, and there's no doubt that that's, that's probably, you know, a more likely outcome there. Um, you know, it's, it's I, you know, when, when picking this game, I, I picked it for the preview, so I had to go back and think, like, do I really believe in this pick that I'm picking? Like, you know, but, you know, I'm going to stick with it, um, you know, maybe a little bit of optimism from me um, as a, you know, kind of Mountaineer follower since I was born. Uh, it's I'm sometimes a little glass half empty. I'm going to go glass half full here, maybe call it an upset. See, I'm usually glass half full. I'm usually trying to find all the good things, but I'm just cautiously, like super cautious about this game. I just think there's a lot of variables on both sides, on Pitt and for West Virginia. So, I'm going to just kind of stay true to the line, stay true to everything there. Um, Next up is going to be my interview with Dalton Coppola uh, from Pitt. He covers the football team for Pitt student newspaper. He gave us some good insight on this Pitt team. It was stick around. It was a pretty good interview. As for myself, uh, we will be coming back to you Friday. Win or lose, uh, we'll get you something. Either record late, late, late Thursday night or hopefully Friday morning before the Labor Day holiday weekend. And then we'll get you something next week as well as the Mountaineers open their home schedule in a Big 12 capacity against Kansas. But obviously a lot, a lot, a lot of things will happen before then. Um, final reminders, this week's game is on ESPN. It is at 7 p.m. Acrisure Stadium, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The backyard brawl couldn't be a more fun way to open the 2022 football season. And, oh, by the way, happy 60th birthday to my mother on Thursday. Um, she'd be mad if I didn't give her that shout-out. So, for myself, I'm Wesley Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. If you made it this far, we do appreciate you listening. Please stick around for the Dalton Coppola interview, and this is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. What's up, everybody? It's my pleasure to be joined by Dalton Coppola of the Pitt News, the sports editor there. Uh, He's going to kind of help us preview Pitt in the backyard brawl this week. So, uh, 
Dalton just starting here. Just kind of the sense of the backyard brawl from a pit perspective. How are things there? Kind of the hype surrounding things up where the game's actually going to be played. I think it's a for the first time in a long time. There's a lot of um, a lot of energy surrounding, especially opening week. Um, last year it was UMass we played, and it was just there was nobody in the student section by the end of the second quarter. Um, but this year, I mean, they sold out the student section. They sold out the season tickets like a couple of weeks ago. So it's going to be a sold out stadium. And I think that's for the first time in a long time, there's going to be a really good atmosphere at Akershire Stadium to uh, welcome back the Mountaineers. You talk about that atmosphere. Do you think that um, Pitt's success last season, obviously winning the ACC and now a rivalry that hasn't been played since 2011, how much do you think kind of both of those factors are combining into this kind of hype machine that's building. I think both of them are incredibly important. I mean, if, if Pitt didn't have any hype around them and West Virginia was coming in and there was no real like consequences for the game, it wouldn't be as exciting. But I think there's a lot of people this year that think Pitt could go. I mean, I, there's a lot of people that think Pitt's ceiling is the college football playoff, whether you think that's going to happen or not, I'm not sure, but it, you know, first two weeks of the season you got West Virginia and Tennessee and I think fans realize how important that game is both of those games are in order to chase that ceiling of going to the college football playoff and then bringing back West Virginia I mean it's so close so many people here their parents went to Pitt or their parents went to West Virginia your next door neighbor went to West Virginia it's just so close that there's so much build up for this game just to have bragging rights for this season um, so I think both of those things are pl- playing a huge part in the reason that this game is getting so hyped up. Kind of looking now on the field, obviously, from a West Virginia perspective, the biggest threat, I think, to the Mountaineers is that defensive line of pits. They caused problems last year. They return most of them up front, and West Virginia's offensive line last year at times seemed to kind of crumble, especially under pressure deal dealt with injuries. So just do you think that's the place the Panthers will look to kind of take advantage of this West Virginia offense is up front. And is that kind of the new strength of this team this year, do you think for Pitt? Oh, absolutely. I think that defensive line is really, really one of the best in the country. I mean, you're bringing back Kalaja Kansi is one of the best defensive tackles on the inside in the entire country. And then, I mean, Habakkuk Baldonado, I don't know how Pitt found him in Rome, but he's a he's a force to be reckoned with. And then even um, you know, you got Deslin Alexander and John Morgan on the outside too. It's just a really, really deep room. But I think another place you gotta look out for is the the linebackers. A lot of people have been talking about how Pitt lost a lot of linebackers, but these coaches are really, really high on Bengali Kamara. And I think he's a really athletic guy they're gonna put outside of Servassier Dennis. And I think he's going to make a lot of plays, along with Shane Simon transferred from Notre Dame. Um, and I think our secondary, it's there's some more question marks there. So if the offensive line can give JT Daniels some time to throw, you, the Mountaineers could beat Pitt uh, their corners. I think there's a lot of question marks there still. Because um, Marquez Williams, you know, he's he's good at times, but there's some times where you're, you're wondering what happened um, when they get past him. So – yeah, but I think that defensive line really is going to be – it's going to be a tough test for the Mountaineers week one. You, you you speak of JT Daniels, and obviously the biggest storyline, I think you could say, is the whole quarterback-quarterback battle with, obviously, then Graham Harrell, the offensive coordinator for West Virginia, coming back into this game as well. So just talk about a little bit of Kadon Slovis and what you think and how he changes this offense. Obviously, going from Kenny Pickett, who was in the Heisman race all last year and had – found a lot of success and then kind of given the reins to Slovis, who is kind of unproven in a sense in the last year or so. Yeah. You know, I think the thing with Keaton Slovis is I don't think anyone really knows what to expect. I think that's, that's the biggest question. That's the biggest variable determining how far pick can go. Um, I think he, you know, obviously in his freshman year at USC, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. And then you saw him kind of taper off with injuries and just, a little bit of a downgrade. He tapered off in play as well. But, you know, I think you look at his accuracy. He's a really accurate quarterback, one of the highest uh, completion percentages in Pac-12 history. I mean, I think he's I think he's going to have a solid year. I definitely don't think 
fans should expect him to be another Kenny Pickett. People think he's going to be a Heisman finalist. I don't think fans should expect that simply because, you know, they also had change in offensive coordinator as well. Um, Whipple, the guy, and he's at Nebraska now, but we have Signetti in now, and he's more of a grounded – he's got a lot of run packages in. He's got a lot of – uses the tight ends a little bit more. So I think I think Keaton's going to be a big part of that offense too, but I think Pitt fans definitely need to come to the realization that he's not going to be Kenny Pickett, and they should be happy if he's 70% of what Kenny Pickett was. But I think he's going to have a good year. He kind of also building off that, when you talk about who he's throwing the ball to, obviously – Losing Jordan Addison, huge loss. Um, how how do you kind of replace that? Obviously, there's probably not another just Jordan Addison there. Do you replace that by running the ball more, trying to kind of turn runs into play action? Is that do you think the general sense of what they're going to try and do, or how do you try and fill that void? You know, I think they they got a really good addition in Kanate Mumfield from Akron, uh, freshman All American. I think he's. A Jordan Addison type player. I don't think he's n- near the talent level of Jordan Addison, but I think he can kind of fill that role um, when it comes to running in the offense as a threat. They also have Jared Wayne on the outside, who was a really, really solid uh, number two for Kenny Pickett last year. But I also think that, yeah, they're going to run the ball a lot more this year. Like Signetti likes to get his tight ends and running backs involved. And I think that he's going to play into that. I think Israel Banacanda is one of the better running backs in the ACC. Um, and they also have Rodney Hammond, freshman last year, but and he's coming back and Sebo Flemster transferred from Notre Dame. So they've got a lot of backs who can get it done. And not to mention Gavin Bartholomew. I think he's one of the most versatile tight ends in the entire country uh, coming into his sophomore season. So, yeah, I don't know how they're going to really re- replace Jordan Addison, but they've got a lot of weapons on offense. It's still a very deep, deep offense. Have you kind of gotten a sense from pit coaches or around the building that there's there's a a position group or an area on West Virginia that they are concerned about that they think West Virginia holds a distinct advantage over them or do you have you not really gotten that sense anywhere? I haven't necessarily gotten a sense of a certain position group. I think the biggest thing they're trying to prepare their guys for is the atmosphere. I don't think they realize because obviously most of these guys were like in middle school, high school, when the last time these two teams played, I think that's that's the biggest thing they're trying to prepare for is it's going to be incredibly, incredibly rowdy in that stadium. And there's going to be a lot of West Virginia fans that make the trip up. Um, I think that's what they have to be prepared for. I mean, fans, both sides throw bricks at the opposing buses. Like it's not, I don't know what they're going to do that this year. I certainly hope not, but. It has happened in the past. So I think that's what they're preparing for, prepare for the worst uh, with the rowdy fans. But, yeah, not not necessarily any position groups that they seem to be too, too worried about. You you talk about those the atmosphere. Do you think that there's a little bit of – you could kind of – I say I think that both sides would think they might have an advantage as for West Virginia. You played in a big rivalry game against Virginia Tech last year. West Virginia, you go into the Big 12 where you go to Austin, there's 105,000 people screaming at you. So, obviously, Pitt last year, they played in the ACC, ACC championship. So, I feel like for both sides, there's definitely a give and take of we've been in these kind of atmospheres before. But I think, as you said, though, there's nothing that I don't think can you can compare to this. No, I, I totally agree. I mean, they Pitt played at Tennessee last year, but there's no history there with Tennessee. I mean, you go into Knoxville, but it's not like Tennessee's – screaming about how much they hate Pitt, how much <laughs> how much they want you guys to lose. I think this is a totally different ball game. It's just going to be – it really is going to be incredible to see. As for just the atmosphere in general, Thursday night, bringing back the rivalry national television college game day, like the stage is set in a sense. If you had to kind of – give three things that you would think if Pitt has to do three things to win the game, what would those three things be? I think the first thing is win the battle in the trenches on both sides. Um, I think they've got a really solid offensive line. And as we already talked about defensive line. Um, Secondly, I think you got to run the ball. Well, Um, that's something they struggled with last year. Um, Finishing it on third and one third and two. Those third and shorts, you just got to be able to run the ball for three, four yards and pick up the first. I guess that would be my second thing. 
And the third thing, I guess, is stay level-headed. Don't let the atmosphere get to you. Um, don't be throwing punches on the sidelines. Um, stay away from personal fouls and silly, avoidable penalties. I think that's those are really three keys to the game. You just play their game. Don't get too, don't get too emotional. And if you had to pick a winner or a score, what do you, what would you, what would you do if you, if you're willing to do that? Who, um, and I think, um, I think I do give the edge to Pitt just because of that defensive line. I really think it's going to be an issue for JT Daniels. I don't think he's going to have much time to throw. So I don't think you guys will have a chance to really pick on uh, the secondary as much as I you could if you had a little more time. But I think I'm going to give Pitt the edge. Not sure I have a specific score in mind, but um, fair enough. stay tuned. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I do appreciate you uh, joining us for everyone listening. I'm joined by Dal- Dalton Capola. Excuse me. Go give him a follow on Twitter at Dalton, D-A-L-T-O-N underscore Capola, C-O-P-P-O-L-A. And I appreciate you joining. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it.